Welcome to the Forager Podcast, where I talk with cottage food businesses about their strategies for running a food business from home. I'm David Crable, and today I am continuing my conversation with Liz Merrick of the Sugar Geek Show. In case you missed the first part of this interview, head back and listen to that episode before jumping into this one. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Liz. You're in a unique position because you have not only run this very successful business, but you now have interacted with and helped thousands of people who have been trying to decorate cakes, start a cake business, and you see plenty of moms, I know, stay-at-home moms, and probably many single parents who have that ambition to get a business off the ground do you have any advice for them uh, if somebody has kids? What, what do you generally advise them when they say, I really want to start this business so that I can build something for my family's future? Yeah, I do have a lot of questions regarding that. And it, it is a little bit personal of a, of a question too, like regarding your own position in life. So I'm really trying to be upfront and say, my my uh, situation is was really unique. I didn't have any kids. I have a husband who not only is supporting me, but he has a lot of technical skills that have helped me along the way, being able to make me a website. You know, he he taught me how to edit my first video using iMovie and I didn't understand any of those things. So that was something that I probably wouldn't have had if it wasn't for him. And then my own, I, I'm an artist at heart. I like, I'm an artist who loves to create. So if you're an artist or if you have a creative outlet, you know that there's not really much you can do to stop it. It's like, you have to do it, even if it's in a small way. So if I wasn't baking and cake decorating, I would be doing something else. I'd be making necklaces or jewelry or something. So I kind of tell people that, cake decorating just happened to be the thing that I landed on and was a way for me to be an artist. I also didn't know I was a teacher. That's something that was a surprise, but you know, um, I guess I like that. I like being a teacher too. I really enjoy helping people get that aha moment. Like, oh my gosh, I didn't know I could do it that way. And maybe it's because I know what it feels like to just be so confused about a technique and wanting to do it really well. And then you finally get that thing, that piece of information. You're just like, Oh, Oh my gosh, that helps me so much. You know, just made my life easier. So if you are trying to make a name for yourself, whether it is you want to eventually be an instructor that travels all over the world and you don't want to make cakes for people anymore, or maybe you want to open your own bakery and you, uh, you don't want to have a brick and mortar someday, whatever your end goal is, you really have to look at your own situation and say, okay, how much time am I willing to give to this? And is it the right time? You know, if your kids are super young and you don't have the ability to have someone watch them or help you, maybe you don't have a mom or your significant other isn't, isn't able to help you then don't be so hard on yourself. <laughs> you know, maybe it's not the right time to try and open up a bakery or something like that. And I'm a firm believer that things happen at the time that they're meant to happen as long as you keep looking for the opportunity, right? It, things don't happen magically, but you have to be open to them. So I, I that's probably not the answer anybody's looking for, but it really is truthful in that look for the opportunities that might come up and take a chance on yourself. You know, don't be afraid to try things. And if they don't work, it's okay. Try something else. See, see what else is meant to come along. Just don't be afraid to go after things and don't think that you, just because other people are doing it, that there's no room for you. Like there's room for everybody. Everybody has their own unique perspective. Everybody has their own unique take on things. It's just a matter of believing in yourself and just looking for that moment. You know, who knows what it might be <laughs> that, that kind of brings it all together. So I hope that makes sense. I think one of the challenges too is that especially today with social media, YouTube, and your your stuff that you put out, there's so much amazing stuff out there that I think someone who's starting out would go, like, my stuff looks horrible. 
And they might not feel like, I'm sure you get this all the time, they don't feel like they're worthy of selling a cake or especially teaching someone else how to make a cake. What do you say to that? And, and when when should somebody feel ready to start teaching or to start selling? Like, how do you know that you're good enough? That is something that I think every kind of creator uh, struggles with. And that's like a form of imposter syndrome uh, where you believe that you don't know enough or you're not an expert enough to speak or create anything and be seen as an expert because you're, you're not the expert, right? You're definitely not an expert when you're first starting out. And especially now with social media, you kind of see everybody who's at this top level and you just can't really see the pathway between where you're at and how to get to that end goal. So first of all, we have to remember that the journey of creation and career is not a straight line. It's a never ending spiral circle. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, there is no end. I've set many, many goals for myself that I thought were completely unreachable over the years and I've reached them. And then what happens when you reach them? Well, you just get to the, you make another goal and then you reach that. Or maybe it takes you your whole life to reach one goal. That's okay too, but there is no end goal. And when you are heading towards that goal, whatever it is, whatever you set, you'll never stop learning. You will never, ever stop becoming better at what you're doing. So the only thing you can do is teach the people who are further behind on that journey than you are. So someone gave me some really good advice when I was struggling on trying to think of content to create what I've taught everything. What do people even want to know? Like they're like, I feel like there's nothing new and I don't have anything good to offer. And they said to me, you should teach what you would have wanted to know when you were a beginner or you, when you were at a certain stage. So no matter what phase you're at, you have something to offer. And that's why you can take things like beginner classes for cake decorating. So not everybody's going to need a beginner's class, but there are plenty, plenty of people who do. There are plenty of people who need to just be walked through how to make a basic buttercream or how to frost a cake or how to cover it in fondant. These are fundamental techniques that I've taught thousands of times and there's never going to be a shortage of it. In fact, there's probably more people who need to know the basics of something than people who need to be taught expert techniques. Because I think once you get past a certain amount of experience, you start getting more and more comfortable teaching yourself. But when you're a beginner, beginner, it's like those basics are the things that really make all of the difference and give you the confidence to to kind of keep moving forward. So my advice is to teach what you know, and not be worried uh, about not knowing at all, because none of us do. (laughs) You know, that's actually something I really like about you, Liz, is that I I see a lot of these big time cake makers like Natalie Sidesurf is one you mentioned. And they, of course, make amazing cakes, but it seems like a lot of the tutorials they do are very advanced, and you've done it all. You do a ton of advanced tutorials as well, but I like the fact that you also do really basic tutorials for beginners, and I was just kind of curious about if it's challenging or boring for you to go all the way back to teaching basics when you can do so much more with your business right now. Not at all. No, I don't. I I think that the imposter in me believes that people don't want that from me, Um, that they don't want to see the basic stuff because so many people teach the basics. So see, it even happens to me Um, um, because I want to make sure that I'm giving thing. I'm giving people stuff that they can't get other places, like the more advanced tutorials, the sculpted cakes, the gravity defined structures, you know, but really the things that do the best on my social media are so simple. I don't know if you saw recently I posted a video of how to make water ganache to my um, social media, to Instagram and to TikTok mainly. And this is a, a recipe I came up with years ago, long, long time ago. And it came purely from necessity. I needed to make a drip for a drip cake. I ran out of cream. I didn't want to go get cream. I had to deliver the cake very soon. 
And I just thought, well, what is cream? It's mostly water and a little bit of fat. So I melted down some milk and added a little bit of butter to it. And I thought that's basically cream, (laughs) maybe. And um, did a ratio of, I think, three to one with some melted chocolate. And it was really, really watery. And then I added some more chocolate to it. And I was like, well, this seems like a pretty good consistency. And I tried it out. And not only did it work, but I felt like it worked better than a regular ganache drip. And it was such a simple thing, but it was one of the first videos I posted to, I think I did a Facebook live on it first. And then I downloaded the live and posted it to YouTube. And it was this 20 minute long, blah, 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 like not a very good YouTube video at all, but it, it like took off and got like hundreds of thousands of views, which I'd never had before at the time, all because I put water on chocolate. And, you know, it was just like, what, this is blowing my mind. And so I recently reshared it because I do use that technique all the time. So I just happened, I was like, I'm going to film this, you know, I haven't shared this in a long time. And again, it completely blew up. It completely resonated with so many people. And it's because it's just a basic technique. It's one of those things that a lot of people struggle with. A lot of people are not out there building gravity defying incredible structures. Like that's more of a niche interest but a lot of home bakers are struggling with a drip. A lot of home bakers want to know how to make a cake stay moist. And so I enjoy still teaching those basic things because I know that people resonate with them. And And first and foremost, you have to give your followers what they need and not just what you think they need. <laughs> so analytics, analyzing what people respond to is helpful with thinking about what to create for future projects. I know you have the Sugar Geek show now and that you have this membership community, which is an amazing community, but you started by publishing a ton of free content. How how did you transition over to that? And was it difficult for you to start charging for your content? You know, it was difficult. And for anybody out there who might be starting a YouTube channel, it's very, you know, it's kind of a big thing right now to be starting a YouTube channel. Remember that once you start giving your information away for free, it is very difficult to make people start paying for it. So, so that was my first sort of mistake is I never charged for anything. I always just had everything on YouTube and it was free. And I would also, I had a Facebook group where I just kind of posted free content and I never even thought to charge for things. But what happened was my tutorials that I was posting to YouTube were gradually getting longer and longer and longer. Um, And somebody actually asked me one time, actually a few people asked me, but I I remember once somebody said, Hey, do you, do you like have any tutorials for sale? Because I would actually, you know, pay money to uh, get like a materials list and have you make specific projects that we could recreate. And I was just like, what, like who would, who would want that? And, and this is before we had all of the cake schools that we have now and craftsy and all of that. So I really didn't know why anybody would pay for that content when they could get it for free on YouTube, but I was running into a problem of their just YouTube was just um, limiting how much, you know, how long the videos could even be that I was uploading. And actually my, my wonderful husband, once again, he uh, casually mentioned to me one day this website called Patreon, and he said, you know, I know some artists that I follow who are, who have a Patreon account where you upload kind of like tutorial style videos, and then they just tip you like a certain amount of money every month just to, to have uh, the ability to see the video first and maybe you send them like a a little thank you sticker or something in the mail for being a for being a patron and I just thought he was out of his mind I thought he was bonkers I was like nobody's gonna pay for my for my stuff like nobody's gonna sign up for a patreon like that doesn't even sound like a good idea but uh yeah a lot of people did a lot of people signed up for the patreon and uh, we still have members of Sugar Geek Show who started on the Patreon and they're very proud of it. And it makes me feel really happy that they've stuck with me over, over all of these years. So we went from YouTube 
And then we went to Patreon and we did get a lot of flack. Like don't, I, I kind of left that part out, but a lot of people complained about me being a sellout and saying that, you know, now I'm charging and I got greedy and I used to, I used to just put stuff out for free, but it didn't last very long because I reminded them that I still do put free content on YouTube every week. I put you know, lots of videos out, lots of recipes out that are completely free. And there is no pressure to sign up for more advanced tutorials. They're just merely there if, if you want them. So I think quickly that kind of died down, but it, I did have to deal with that for a little bit. So then on Patreon, we grew our membership to a few hundred people but the platform itself was not set up very well for organizing content. And pretty soon people were complaining that they couldn't find old videos. And if they ever stopped using Patreon and weren't members anymore, they didn't have access to the videos. And so then that led to basically our decision to start Sugar Geek Show and stop with Artisan Cake Company. Because at this point, I was still just Artisan Cake Company making cakes, making toppers and making content on the side. But because Patreon did so well, it kind of made me realize that I didn't have to do both. I could just be a content creator, which at the time seemed weird. <laughs> you know, I was like, what? I'm just going to make content for people to watch online and not act, make actual cakes. That seems crazy. But now, you know, of course, now that's not so crazy. But Dan built me a website and he made a whole section that members could sign up and, you know, have their own accounts and watch video content and everything was well organized. I could put all my recipes there in one spot. And then again, we had to, you know, convince everybody to move from Patreon over to this new platform. And we did lose some people, but, you know, ultimately it was the best decision. And in hindsight, we should have just built a website, but because there wasn't really any example of what that looked like at the time, I didn't even really think it was going to work out to be honest. But yet again, just letting you guys know, I mean, what's the harm in trying, right? I could have just said, no, I'm not going to do a Patreon. That's stupid, <laughs> you know, but I took a chance and thought, sure, why not? I'll, I'll try that. And it literally led to Dan being able to quit his job and we work together now and we own our own company together. We get to be home with our kids and we're able to support our family and have a very, very unique career, which we're so, so grateful for every day. I'm so grateful for our followers and the people who continue to support us and are so loyal and, you know, use our recipes and, you know, they, they tag us on their social media and it always just makes me feel really good, not only because it allows us to work, you know, and support ourselves, but I feel like I'm going to be like, I made a difference, you know, in, in the baking community that when I'm gone, that people will still use my recipes or, you know, the, my, my books will still be around or maybe my website, will, who knows what will happen, but it kind of feels like I built a legacy for cake decorating, which is something that makes me feel really proud of, you know? No, yeah, you should be very proud of what you've accomplished. I mean, it's it's amazing to see what you've built and I know it's it's continuing to grow. What was it like? Because I, I know many years you were supported by Dan's income. What was it like to switch, you know, flip that around and become the breadwinner of the family? Man, that was really weird. That was really strange um, to go from maybe making a couple hundred dollars a month after paying, you know, for all of the supplies and, you know, all of that. I never, I never even paid myself. It was just, I, I think our arrangement early on was like my money that I made from cake decorating paid for groceries. Like that was kind of the, the rationalization I had is <laughs> like, we were literally able to eat. Now, if I would have just taken the money that uh, I was spending on cake decorating and just bought groceries, you know, it probably would have been even more profitable. But for a long time, Dan's income really just supported not only my business, but, you know, our family. And he is, he's really a traditional husband in that way, where he worries a lot about making sure that the family's taken care of and that, you know, he's being financially responsible and that's his responsibility solely. And when the business started 
making enough money that I needed to hire someone to kind of help me manage the blog and the membership. And the one that he built, I kind of approached him and said, you know, Dan, I'm really going to need to hire someone to do the technical side of this business. And I, but I would really like for you to do it, but that would mean you'd have to quit your job. And he was really against it at first. He says, you know, that's too risky. Um, what if something happens and, you know, we're going to lose everything. And I said, okay. And he said, well, if you can, if you can reach this number of income, then, you know, I'll consider it. And I think we reached it like in a couple months, it, it was just growing so quickly. And I think it surprised us both, you know, it wasn't anything I did on purpose. It was just naturally growing in that way, but I was able to kind of be like, we'll see, you know, it, it really is taking off and I don't, I, I need some help. So he, I think he gave his work like a six month notice because at this point he's a uh, director of marketing. So he's at the top of his field at his company. And, you know, he didn't really necessarily want to leave. He really liked his job and really enjoyed his career. So I was kind of asking a lot for him to leave that and also take a financial risk, but you know, he did it. And, and I'm forever grateful that he did do that because now we get to be together in this business and, you know, we're 50, 50 on it. And I try very hard to respect his side of the company, which is the technical side. I don't tell him how to make the website look. I mean, I I give feedback on colors and pictures, of course, but he really handles all of that side of the thing. He manages the membership. And I think that's important for our business because I don't think he would feel happy if it was just him being an employee of me, you know? So my sacrifice was that I gave him ownership of what his part of the job is. So he, I defer to him on things and say, well, what do you think we should do? And what do you think is going to be best? And so that he feels still that he's contributing and he is responsible for the success of the business for the, for the part that he's in charge of. And um, he does a really good job with it. When did you start to get an idea that this might turn into something really big? Oh, I think that Patreon, when we were doing Patreon and the numbers grew so quickly and we discovered that there was a uh, a desire for online content where people didn't have to travel to take a class or they didn't have to pay a huge amount, you know, like a membership site was like $20 a month, you know, and they could just get all of this content and watch it whenever they wanted to. I didn't realize there was such a demand for that. So that was one of one of the times that we really thought, oh my gosh, this is special. And the other one was a couple of years ago, I um, met up with a friend who was a, a wedding photographer. And we had worked together back when I was just a, a wedding uh, cake maker. And she's like super, super smart, very like techie person, but she also is a photographer. And I was just like, hey, what are you doing? Like, what are you up to? And she's like, well... I'm about to quit my job at Intel and I'm going to go full-time blogging. And I was just like, blogging, what is that? (laughs) Like, you know, you just like write an online journal or something. And she was just like, no, like blogging is a whole thing. Like, you know, you put up recipes and you write, you know, everything that you know about them. And if you rank well enough on Google, you can actually make money off of it. And I was like, well, like how much money? And she's like, there are people who are like millionaires who do this. And it's like, what? That's, I don't believe that. That's not true. (laughs) You know? And she's like, well, don't you have a blog? And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I kind of, I kind of write recipes here and there, but like, they're not anything amazing. And I think I had like 10 recipes or something, you know, on my website from that came from my book. And she was like, well, come to this blogging conference with me in Utah. It's called the Everything Food Conference. And you'll meet all these other bloggers and you'll kind of see what the blogging community really is. And I, so I went to the conference, I, you know, listened to what everybody had to say about blogging and met people who were bloggers. Most, I'm pretty sure like 99.9% of bloggers are women who are moms, you know, and they were, I mean, not everybody's a millionaire, but they were making 
crazy money and doing a lot less work than I was as far as content creation, because they're making recipes. So, you know, when I'm filming a cake, it might take a whole week to film the cake, the production, the editing, you know, especially if it's an elaborate cake, so they're like, Oh, I'm just going to make a recipe of on muffins or something. And you just whip them up, takes half an hour. You film it, you edit it, put the recipe up on the website and that's it. And I just like, okay, well maybe I'll give this a try too. And so I did, that's when I started taking blogging a little bit more serious too. And that has surpassed our income for our membership site. We're not millionaires, but you know, like maybe someday, um, but it, it has really opened my eyes to the learning really never stops. You know, I really thought that I was just going to be a cake decorator making cakes out of my kitchen. And that was going to be the calling that I was going to have for the rest of my life. And then that turned into teaching. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to be a teacher. And that's going to be the thing that I do for the rest of my life. Oh, and now I'm teaching online and I'm going to have a membership school. And that's the thing I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And now I'm blogging. (laughs) So who knows what, what things will lead to in a couple of years, but I've definitely learned that the opportunities don't stop coming. And as long as you, you know, continuously look for them and you're continuously working towards them that uh, you just never know, you know, what's going to be around the corner. How do you prevent a business that has over a quarter million followers? How do you prevent that from taking over your life and still managing to have a family and live a full balanced life. What makes you think I have a balanced life? <laughs> oh my goodness. The, the struggle to find balance in life is never ending. Um, somebody explained it to me once that life is like uh, juggling five plates. You can only hold five plates at a time. And the only way to take on something else is to put down one of the other plates. And uh, that is the definition of balance. What's on those plates is what makes it feel unbalanced. So sometimes my plates are full of family and being at home and, and cooking dinner and making sure my house is clean and gardening outside. I love that traveling and going on vacations. These are all things that you know, you want to have and and helps you to feel at peace in your life. And then, but on the other hand, I have all my business plates, which I also enjoy. I love creating recipes. I love experimenting. I love teaching and, and I love social media. I love answering questions and being helpful to people. But to do that, I have to put down some of my family plates. So I try to just take turns. You know, there are during the daytime, I um, tell myself that it is okay to not be playing with my kid all day long because I'm working. And that is something that every parent has to do. I should feel thankful that I at least get to see her multiple times during the day because I'm eating lunch or I'm getting her ready for school or, you know, she's homeschooled right now. So I see her even more. But I try not to feel guilty that, you know, she says, oh, can you play a game with me? And I have to say, no, I can't. I have to go to work. And I, even if she gets upset, I have to stay firm and say, I'm really sorry. I will play with you later or we can do something fun together this weekend. But I have to go to work. And, and that's just part of being an adult, you know. So we set those boundaries for herself or for, for us. And then also no working after five o'clock. So unless I have some crazy cake deadline that I have to finish in the evening time, but I used to work all day and into the evening until the moment I fell into my bed, but it it doesn't feel good and it does not good for my family to to work that way. So I have to just say, okay, five o'clock, it's time to think about dinner. We're going to eat dinner together at the table. We talk about our day then it's bath time and we play some video games together or play a game or something like that. And then before you know it, it's bedtime and it's eight o'clock. And now it's important for me, for my self-care to not go back to work, to not get back onto my computer and work on a blog post or, or do anything that needs to be done. 
I do what I want to do, whether that is to be hanging out on TikTok or maybe I, I've been recently getting addicted to Clubhouse. So I'm like always on there listening to things or I want to like watch some TV, catching up on some WandaVision, you know, all of those things to keep me happy, you know, talk to my husband, see how he's doing so that I'm, I'm not overworking myself. Occasionally I do break those rules because of, like I said, deadlines and stuff, but I try to keep our work schedule as normal as possible. So then if work becomes where it's like, I need to be working at night a lot and I need to be sacrificing a lot of those family plates to be meeting my deadlines, then that tells me I need to scale back on work that, that things are not balanced and I am expecting too much of myself and I I need to change what I'm expecting. So it sounds very easy and just kind of like cut and dry. It's very difficult because it's very easy to over schedule yourself as an entrepreneur. And then you make commitments that you cannot just bail on. So, you know, you get, you go through it and sometimes you overwork yourself and then you just try to correct the next time you're like, okay, I know that I cannot take on more than one cake a week or I will be sacrificing too much family time. So I'm going to make sure that I always only take on one cake a week until my kids are in school. And it's different for every person, depending on, you know, how you're, how many kids you got at home. I'm sure you go through the same thing. So whatever much time that is, I think it's different for everybody. Well, so you've obviously come a long way and I know you can't see into the future because obviously where you are now is probably somewhere you never would have guessed you would be five years ago, but Where are you at now and where do you see yourself going in the next few years? Where I'm at now is I definitely feel a surge of creativity after a year of sort of like we just moved into a new house. I finally have a space that we converted into a kitchen, into a filming space that's downstairs in a basement. And we renovated the whole space just to be used for cooking and baking and filming. And so for the first time in my career, I, my, my filming and production is not in my kitchen. (laughs) It's my actual house kitchen or my garage. So that has been a big step. And I feel a lot freer to be a little bit more ambitious in my production schedule. So I am ramping up a little bit more than I had been in the past because I have the space to do it. And I brought on more people to help me. So I have a videographer. I have a really good friend who has helped me on cakes in the past. And she's, she's been helping me test recipes and create content. And I think I view for myself, I'm not sure how fast I'm going to get there, but I think my next goal for Sugar Geek Show is to start bringing in other people besides myself, because while I love what I teach. And I love being an expert in cake decorating. My interests are expanding exponentially. And I find myself really interested in chocolate work and really interested in bread making and things that are not my expertise. And I'm sure I can learn them and teach what I, what, what I find out. But I think what I want to move into more is just kind of relying on other people's expertise and saying, you know, today, I'm going to bring in my friend, Christoph, let's say, who was the, he was my teammate on Halloween Wars and he's my pastry chef teammate. And he is incredibly talented and say, okay, today I'm going to have Christoph do a video for Sugar Geek Show. And he's going to show us how to make croissants. Now, Christoph is a French pastry chef and has been making croissants ever since he was 14 years old. And he's from France. You think I'm ever going to be able to like understand croissants at that level? Probably not. So I'm excited about kind of moving in towards being uh, a curator of knowledge, if you will. So, you know, for a long time, I've just relied on my own knowledge and shared that freely. But now I think I'm moving towards relying on other experts in a related field and finding the best of their knowledge and sharing it with our audience. So we'll see how it goes. But that's kind of where we're headed. (laughs) Well, that makes sense. And it keeps it fresh, too. You know, it it opens up new opportunities. Um, And you mentioned the Halloween Wars. We didn't even get into the competitions. Um, But yeah, what was it like to participate in competitions on national television? 
competing on TV was another goal of mine. When I was first starting out cake decorating, I would watch people like Mike McCary and Lauren Kitchens uh, compete on Food Network Challenge. And that was like, you know, a goal, like maybe someday I'll be on Food Network Challenge and I will get to compete. Maybe I would even win. And like right around, you know, 2014, when I was just starting to make a name for myself and trying to get onto TV, uh, they, Food Network Challenge was no more. It wasn't a thing anymore. And they started doing these other shows that were like kind of drama, drama based. And I, I applied to several, but <laughs> believe it or not, I used to be very awkward on camera and would very, I would overact, overact and didn't know how to speak naturally. Um, so it was very cheesy on camera. And so I, I would never get picked to be on TV and I wasn't sure why. And in hindsight, it's because I'm talking like this and it's to not very fun to listen to, you know? Um, so when I finally did apply to be on Halloween Wars, I, th- I think that they thought we were the underdog and I was paired, they don't, you don't get to pick who you're paired up with, but so I was paired up with Christoph, who's pastry chef and my friend, uh, Mike Brown, who is a pumpkin carver and me, you know, little me never been on TV. I've, I've done a couple, no, I had been on TV. I was on Duff Till Dawn and I'd done some like one-off shows like ridiculous cakes where they come to your house and you, you just make a cool cake for somebody and that's it. It's not really competition. And so the really the only other competition I had done at that point was Duck Till Dawn, which was even then it was a very casual competition. It was like, let's all stay up late at Duff's place and make cakes and see whose is better. <laughs> you know, it was very low key. And uh, Halloween Wars was not low key. It was very intense, multiple days of filming and very long days and asking a lot of you in just five hours. You know, people ask me, is it really just five hours of filming? Yes, it really was just five hours of filming. We did a lot of prep work. You know, you do prep work to kind of get ready for that day, but the actual competition really was just five hours. So it was very stressful and challenging because I'd never done anything to that level. But with every challenge that we got through, we learned more about what we had to do, what the process was like. And we also really, our team really got along. And that is a very, very important part of competing on any show. If you do not get along with your teammates, you're done for. If you're fighting with your teammates, you're done for. You have to be able to communicate with each other and encourage each other and lift each other up when you're feeling stressed or you just can't do it. You just can't emotionally get through it. And I think we probably would not have won, but our team was so strong and we got along so well and we communicated so well and talented too, for sure. But all the teams are talented. Like that's not really the, the, the issue it really came down to being able to work through the stress and being a strong team is I think what helped us win Halloween Wars, which is probably why I'll never do it again. (laughs) (laughs) Unless I have my same team, I'm not risking it. (laughs) Well, Halloween Wars is probably your biggest win. And what was the aftermath of that? Did you get a ton of publicity? It was huge. It was, I... I really did. I don't regret going on Halloween Wars, even though it was one of the most challenging experiences of my life still to this day, because they play it every year. They replay our episode of or our season. They replay season seven of Halloween Wars every year. And you can watch it on YouTube, too, now. And um, even though I look different, people still they recognize my name. And they're like, oh my gosh, I loved your season of Halloween Wars. Even if we lost, I think people would still think it was amazing because being on TV tends to be one of those like, oh, you're more legit now. And I trust you more because somebody put you on TV, you know? So it was really good for our business. It was good for our school. And when we go to work with sponsors or big companies like, you know, Disney or something, we just recently did a sponsored post with Disney and they ask you, you know, what are your achievements? What have, you know, have you written any books? Have you been on any TV shows? Uh, what are your accolades? So Halloween Wars has always been a really 
great feather in our cap to say I won that or that I was on it. And people might not know this, but it is Food Network's like number one show. <laughs> like, and it's only on once a year, but it is people love, absolutely love that show. And it's like they're high, they get their most views like during Halloween Wars. Well, what about an aspiring baker who sees all this stuff and would like to be there? Do you recommend that they apply or should they just hunker down and focus on improving their skills and posting on social and hoping someone discovers them? Like, how can someone get on TV like you did? First of all, you have to want to be on TV. You know, don't go on TV if it's not a goal for you. Don't get you know, people love to tell you, you should be on TV, you should be on TV, but unless you want to be on TV, then you shouldn't go. And the only reason, or the reasons that you have for wanting to be on TV, it can be so different. You know, some people just want to go for the challenge. Some people just want to go because they want to see what it's like. Some people are trying to just build their career and, you know, TV is just a kind of a stepping stone, whatever it is, you know, you should actually want to go do it. Secondly, you should understand that it is television and it's not going to be all glamour. There's very long days, very, a lot of preparation before you even leave to go film. You have to like do sketches and you have to have meetings and there's a lot of time commitment before you even go and you might not even win, you know? So I think people have it in their minds that shows are rigged and they're not fair and they might have a bad experience. And I have not personally had any experiences with shows being rigged or being faked, but they are, but they have asked me to specifically focus on a problem. So if we're having a problem, say, well, what's happening? And they want me to talk about it in a way that is going to play up the drama because it's TV. So I'm not necessarily lying, but I am kind of making a big deal out of something that's not a big deal. And people get surprised by that. They're just like, what? You know, like they're going to have you fake it. And it's like, well, I'm not faking it. I'm just making good TV because at the end of the day, who wants to see people just building a, a cake that comes together perfectly and nothing, they didn't have to work through anything. Cause that's not even realistic when we're making cakes at home, things go wrong and producers want to see you problem solve. They want to see you communicate with your teammates to figure out a solution. They want to see your emotions as you try to uh, work through the pressure of it because everybody can relate to that. You know, you can relate to having something go wrong and then what do you do? Right. And then they get worried. Well, I'm going to look bad. I'm going to look bad. And I, dropped and broke so many things on Halloween Wars. And I, a lot of people did not like my personality because I cried a lot. <laughs> and it didn't hurt me though, because it's real and it's authentic. And that's the way it really, it really was incredibly stressful. So you just, I think it's important to, first of all, just understand that e even though it can be really good for your career, it's not all it's work, just like anything else, you know, a lot of it. And if you want to compete and you want to be on TV, uh, really what you should be doing is making sculpted cakes that are either Halloween related, like if it's Halloween Wars, or if you want to go on holiday baking championship, be making the types of cakes that would be part like, you know, you would see somebody make something similar like that. Because what happens is then if you want to apply, you can apply that you can just literally just Google, you know, apply to Halloween Wars and the information will pop up or you can go into any group like Sugar Geeks, which is my Facebook group and just say, hey, is any cake shows casting right now? Does anybody know? Because somebody always knows, you know, who's casting and um, they'll ask you, what's your portfolio look like? So if you haven't already built something and you haven't already built something at a large scale, then they probably won't cast you. And also for yourself, you would, you need to like have those skills, you know, take some classes on Sugar Geek Show. <laughs> you know, I've got lots of gravity to find large structures uh, if you want to learn stuff like that and get familiar with it and then make sure it's something that you really want to do. But it can be really good for you. And it's, it's really not that hard to get on TV. You just have to have a good portfolio of stuff to pre present. And they're always looking for people who have uh, good personalities, you know, just being yourself. Um, it also helps when you don't get nervous when staring into a camera. 
<laughs> well, I mean, that does not, to be honest, that is very common. And my teammate, Mike Brown, he had such bad anxiety the entire, you know, season we were filming. He'd have to take, you know, extra anxiety medication just to get through an episode because he was so nervous about, and, you know, he never wanted to talk like if they were on him. So maybe a good, a good suggestion is if you do get really nervous, then um, you can be a teammate. You don't have to be the team leader because usually the team leader is the one who talks and sort of comes up with the ideas. And then the teammates are the ones who are obviously on the team and you, and you get to be on the show and you get to uh, contribute to the whole piece, but you don't have to like talk as much and you know, your personality isn't on as much on display. So something to keep in mind. <laughs> All right. Last question, Liz, uh, somebody's starting out a, a cake business or they want to start a cake business. There's so many things they could focus on improving their skills, starting to sell, building up social media, going to cake shows. What do you recommend to somebody who's just starting out and wants to get their business off the ground? Hmm. Gosh, you're right. There is a lot of moving pieces. I'm curious what other people have said, because I'm sure I'm not the first cake decorator you've interviewed. um, I have a group called Cake Noobs. And I made it because after I created my group, Sugar Geeks, I, I noticed there was a little bit of a disconnect between seasoned cake decorators and super beginner cake decorators. And I, I made the group so that people could ask very, very basic beginner questions and also get help on problems that they have. And I will tell you the most common problems that people complain about in Cake Noobs. And one of them is their cake fell apart. They went to go deliver this beautiful cake and the cake did not make it. And now they're in this weird position that they, should they give a refund? What went wrong? You know, and most of the time it's a structural problem um, or a temperature problem. So fundamentals of building a cake. I have a whole series on Sugar Geek Show. It's free. The basics, uh, it's, it's called How to Make Your First Cake. And it literally talks about everything from the correct cake pans to tools, making sure that you're stacking and leveling properly, how to, to um, stack two cakes on top of each other, deliver them, like literally how to make your first cake, <laughs> like I'm standing right there with you. So that's fairly important. Another one is the cake recipe itself. You don't have to make a cake from scratch. Like you can use a box mix, but in my experience, the the only wedding cake I ever had fall over was made from a box mix because they are not really made to stack. They're very, very soft and very delicate. So I use a doctored box mix. Uh, I have a few recipes on my website, but there's, there's some all over the place, but basically you're adding a few extra ingredients to make them a little bit firmer or just learning the fundamentals of baking a scratch if you want to bake from scratch so that your recipes are on point, you're comfortable with them before you start trying to make them. There's, I mean, you should be able to have, you should have a basic vanilla cake and a basic chocolate cake ready to go under your belt before you sell because you can tweak a chocolate cake to become mocha or, you know, chocolate chip, peanut butter, you know, or you can take your vanilla, turn it into a spice cake, or you can turn it into a champagne cake or any, you can, you can tweak it, but until you have that basic baking knowledge, it's good. You don't want to be struggling through that on somebody's wedding cake. (laughs) Like I, like I was, please learn from me, you know? So that's just like the kind of the, the main, main basics you need for even just starting your business is being comfortable with the basics of building a cake and baking one. And then please, 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 please make yourself a contract. You know, you, and I have a lot to say on contracts and why you should protect yourself, but mostly it is, think of it this way. When you go into uh, an agreement with anybody, think about it from your perspective. If you were the client, if you are about to spend, let's say a thousand dollars on something and you and somebody's going to provide a service for you. 
it's going to make them feel better. Like the client, you will feel better if you know exactly what to expect. You know exactly what the flavors are. You know exactly what the cake is going to look like. You know exactly when it's going to be coming. What happens if something goes wrong? These are all things that help the client feel more at ease and they portray you as an expert, you know, that they, they don't, ha- they don't won't harass you with a million questions and email you at all hours of the night or try and text you because you've already covered it. You've already got it all outlined in the contract and establishing communication from the beginning through email so that you can go back and like, see what you had talked about instead of trying to keep up with text messages and social media, you know, DMS and stuff like that. I personally don't do that ever because it's very hard to to keep track of what you were talking about. So when it comes down to it and it's, and you're ready to deliver the cake, everybody knows what to expect. And this is my last one. (laughs) My last one, very, very important. Never, never, ever, ever, ever deliver a cake that has not been paid for. Don't ever do it. It might have worked for you just fine all the way up until now, but I see time and time and time again, of people saying the client never paid for this cake. What do I do with it now? Or they try to sell it on their page. And if they, if it's a last minute order, if they ordered it this morning and it's due this afternoon, first of all, I would not take that order. But (laughs) if you do, they pay for it right away. And you don't even turn your oven on or lift a spatula until the cake is paid for. That is just common business practice, not even just for cake decorators, but for most businesses, they don't do anything until you pay for it. So you're not a restaurant. Get your stuff paid for first. (laughs) Those are my tips. And yet you put out all that content for free for so many years. (laughs) I know, I know. Oh my goodness. That's different. (laughs) That's brand building. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, clearly it worked very well for you and is still working well for you. And it's so cool to hear your story and how you've grown to the point you're at now. And I'm looking forward to seeing where it's going in the future. I know it's very easy to find you online, but just how can people find you and reach out? Yeah, definitely. So if you you know want to follow me on Instagram, my username is Sugar Geek Show. I absolutely love it when people try my recipes and tag me in their stories so that I can reshare them. That's really a great way to kind of directly contact me or for me to see your work. Uh, secondly, I'm on TikTok a lot. I post a lot of videos on there, just kind of behind the scenes and um, the funnier side of the business. And that's a uh, username Sugar Geek Show as well. I post new YouTube videos every Tuesday, um, youtube.com slash sugar geek show, where I post a lot of my recipes and our tutorials come out on the 1st and the 15th on our membership site, sugargeekshow.com. So we've got something for everybody on all platforms. (laughs) You certainly do. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. I really appreciated it. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. That wraps up part two of my interview with Liz Merrick. Liz has an incredible story, and although she has a very large following, it was cool to see how it all came from humble beginnings. Remember to head over to the Sugar Geek Show and watch some of Liz's great tutorials. She really does have something for everyone, and I'll include links in the show notes so that you can check out her stuff. For more information about this episode, go to forge.com podcast 32. And if you enjoyed this episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. A review is the best way to support the show and will help others find it as well. I'd also really appreciate if you could share this show with any bakers or home cooks that you know who might be interested in it. And finally, if you're thinking about selling your own homemade food product, check out my free mini course where I walk you through the steps that you need to take to get a cottage food business off the ground. To get the course, go to cottagefoodcourse.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.